to the Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. My name's James White, and I'm on a mission to help business owners and sales professionals all over the world get incredible sales results. So thanks for listening, and let's get started. So uh, welcome to a part, another edition of uh, the Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. And it's an absolute uh, honor for me to have another guest on the show this week. Um, a, a guy I know well who um, we, we we met a number of years ago through a, through a, for an organization called Dent. And uh, is, or Sebastian is a, is, a, is a key person of influence and a guy that's done some incredible things in his life, runs a, runs a, a number of businesses, a number of organizations, I'll let him tell you himself. But I'm really pleased to welcome to the podcast, Sebastian Bates. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Great to be here. So look, I know lots about you and your history and your story and what you've done and what you've achieved. But for those that don't know you and, and don't know and haven't seen much of what you've done, just give us a little brief story of your of your background and what you know what got you to start. You know, the Warrior Academy is the business that you built up initially, and that's where you know your your whole focus on 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 and inspiring children to, to not be bullied and to, to build that mental strength for themselves. But just tell people a bit about yourself and um, what you're doing and what you built and, and and actually what you're focusing on mainly now. Sure. So so I grew up in a house with two parents who had government jobs and I'd never seen an entrepreneur in my life. So I guess for me, moving into entrepreneurship was very much nature versus nurture. Um, I, I just had it within me to want to seek uh, entrepreneurship. And I think for me, that narrows down to kind of freedom of creativity uh, more than anything. I think that it was a creative pursuit and that creativity was the creativity of solving problems. And that's what excited me the most. And I kind of found that as I was traveling around the world, uh, backpacking, and I realized that I could extend my travels by solving problems as I went as a kind of trade spot. Eventually came back to the UK and I became a personal trainer because I wanted to do something physical. And I, my first gig was teaching a Thai boxing club because uh, at the time I was I was fighting professionally in Thailand in Thai boxing. Um, I saw the impact I was making to this small group of about 15 to 20 young men in their um, late teens. And the impact really was on character development, not just on, you know, bringing them to a point where we did have many national champions from that group, but it was really about giving them a moral compass, watching them develop their characters, uh, improve their confidence, conduct, concentration that we call the three C's. And so I really started to focus on that and dive into that. And that became my first business. And very soon after launching that club, uh, I'd grown the War Academy from just one club in the southwest of England to sort of 400 to 500 students in the countryside. Wanted to test the War Academy somewhere urban instead of just the countryside. So I moved to Dubai. um, And in the last four years, we've grown the War Academy from um, zero students in Dubai to um, over a thousand. We're training every single week here. So we're the largest martial arts academy in the UAE. Um, I now teach, or my team now teaches about 4,000 children um, every single week across five countries, across three continents. Um, and I run a charity called the Bates Foundation, uh, which sponsors and mentors about 2,000 orphans in developing countries. So that's that's what I do with the Warrior Academy. Um, we've we've won lots of awards for it. I, I, I write lots of books about character development, anti-bullying. Alongside that, I do a lot of mentoring for about 300 business owners every single year. And I also have a social media organization. Um, which supports me a lot of the time with what I'm doing, but also there's about 30 or 40 clients that we help um, as entrepreneurs really find their voice. Well, I, and as I say, I knew you were doing a lot. But I didn't realize it was that much, right? but, but it's, it's it's incredible what you you've you've done. And obviously, you were and and you know you've missed out the royal family as well. You also work with members of the royal family, I think, in the Middle East, don't you? Yeah, so- absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we've worked and we've worked with several members of the royal family across several countries now, which is a real honor and um, yeah, quite quite a privilege. 
And that journey when you were starting, so obviously when you moved from from the UK and you moved over to Dubai, and I remember having some messages and connections initially. That yeah, that, mm. that, it's a big change, right? And that's a big jump to you know. I know you had a young family, I think, at the time, and you were you know you'd, you'd made this you know this big big bold move. Lots of people are afraid of making big bold moves, but what made you so like I've got to do this? Yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of people struggle with understanding risk, right? Now, I've got to kind of draw the line on this and say that I've got a background in extreme sports, right? With over 500 wingsuit base jumps and skydives. So I probably approach risk a little bit differently differently to other people. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard for me to compare myself to other people within that. But what I have seen from working with so many business owners is that they struggle to, to take risks. And I think a lot of it comes down to perception and they, they get wrapped up and worried about the outcome and, one of the ways that I really work through that in my life is, is essentially writing down everything that could go wrong and then writing down a plan of if that happens, then this, right? If this, then that. And that's gone to really serve me because I think um, it's very easy just to kind of focus on the negative and not come up with a plan for it. But I've got a, a, um, a saying in my business that I share with my team. And we've got about 60 staff around the world. And I, I have one kind of mantra, which I say to them, which is no surprises. And I think if you do your due diligence enough, you know, the positive doesn't surprise you, the negative doesn't surprise you. You know, I get upset if we, if we do too well, then I didn't, and I didn't see it because I want predictability, right? And so I think a lot of people look at big risk takers and they think, you know, that's brash or that's, you know, too much risk or they didn't do enough due diligence. But for me, you know, learning to pack my parachute within a millimeter of, you know, accuracy and learning to have attention to detail and understand wind direction and turbulence before I make a life-changing decision really planted in me that I need to do due diligence within my business. So when it comes to business, you know, I, I, I think about everything. I, you know, there, there are no surprises. And I think that if you take the time to really consider as much as possible, it makes a massive difference. I also think that we vastly overestimate how good or bad things will actually be short term right so human beings have an, an amazing imagination we um you know we whatever we think it's you know the result's going to be it's rarely that good and it's rarely that bad short term and i think we do that subconsciously to kind of prepare us for a shock and then i think long term we vastly underestimate what we can achieve and so i think if you understand it from that balance and you do your due diligence then you're able to take risk and ultimately it comes down to you know, if you want to be an incredible entrepreneur, you have to take risk at some point. There's no two ways about it, right? And so that's why it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to get to the level where they do risk everything. No, it's a great point. And, and you know, risk, you obviously, you, you know, your, your background in 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 doing the, the jumps and, the, and the, those sort of lifestyle elements. But even so, still taking that jump with, a, you know, a young family was key. And also, you moved to Dubai and literally, you know, if I remember rightly, I could be wrong, but literally a few months after you moved to Dubai, there was this big thing called COVID that happened. And that literally shook up a little <laughs> bit of your world, right? I'm re- I know, we, you know, we remember reminisce back to it a little bit, but it, it was, yeah. wasn't it, around that sort of time? It was yeah, so, so moved, around that moved time. To, moved to Dubai, built the business from, you know, Standing starts about 250 students or so. It took about a year, and then bang, COVID hit, shut us down entirely. Um, and suddenly, you know, I, I was I was in Johannesburg at the time, uh, doing a course with Dr. Demartini. Which, if you know Demartini, it's like the best place or the worst place, depending on your perspective, uh, to be when a crisis happens in your life, right? And and so uh, I, I took the last flight out of South Africa. If I think if I missed that, I probably would have been stuck there throughout the whole of COVID. But I took the last flight out. Uh, my wife, you know, and I, we had uh, a, a two-year-old daughter and she was nine months pregnant at the time. 
so eight, eight months pregnant. So, you know, a month into lockdowns when the curfews were still going off and we had drones going around Dubai and all sorts, uh, we had to drive to the hospital and, uh, and had our, had our son. And I think, um, that was a wild time. Right. And, and it was amazing for me because I guess I had several challenges in my life as an entrepreneur, but, but I'd never really experienced something like that, which basically took the entire business that you spent 10 years building from under your feet. And it was actually a really exhilarating time. Like if you take all the devastation and the, the heartache and the loss and the loneliness and all the horrible stuff that everyone went through because of COVID. Um, and, I, and I think purely selfishly um, from my experience as an entrepreneur, it really tested my metal as an entrepreneur. And it really showed me kind of what I'm made of and, and how creative and resilient I am. And I think that it's almost a gift in that way to under, to realize that when you think you've got nothing and it's the end of the world, actually, you know, when you're, when you're forced to be creative, you can come up with some incredible solutions and suddenly you can actually thrive in a situation like that. And I think that's, that for me was a real lesson into just how resilient I was as a, as an entrepreneur and how creative I was. And that's gone on to serve me since then. You're right. And, and, and obviously this podcast is around sales and, and, and business and, and, you know, helping people achieve what they want to. But, but I remember, you know, when we spoke at the time, you, you know, you, I remember you saying literally uh, the thing is shut down everyone, especially in Dubai, because they were a bit different in other countries than, than they were literally like, it's done, isn't it? It's done. And and I was, I was like, telling everyone in the UK, you know, I was telling my team in the UK, look, we need to prepare for a potential lockdown in the UK. And everyone was like, no, 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 it won't happen here. It's just something that's going on in China. And you're quite close to China because you're in Dubai. So that's probably why you're getting affected. <laughs> And luckily, you know, we 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 had so many plans, no surprises, right? We had so many plans by the time we got to the UK that we just dealt with it so well over there, uh, which is really good. But no, from a from a sales position, you know, and I, I mentioned the creativity and how I thrived in that situation. I was I was in this office here, and I was thinking to myself, God, I've got to come up with new ways to make revenue outside of this business, and assume this is now the new norm, right? And so what I what I said to to my team, my wife, is just you know. However we, however we thought we were doing business in the past, that's gone. We need to now accept this is the complete new future. Sure. We're going to have lockdown forever. What can we build and create right now, which can generate an income, generate revenue, and cover everyone's living expenses? And so we, we created, um, well, I created two or three new businesses, which are really, really quite exciting. Um, one of them was a, um, was a social media organization. And you know, I did a, from coming up with the idea to seven days later, um, you know, I approached Jason, um, who's my co-founder um, on with with Shield, the company, and I said to him, "Look, you know, why don't we create a social media business around all, all you know the, all the things that entrepreneurs really need? They need to spend less time on social media, but they need to be prolific with their content, and they need to outsource, and they need to have they need to have a team in place who can look after all their content without them having to worry about the managing of the people. So they just deal with one individual." basically like an agency. And um, so we did a lot of research. We, you know, we, we, in, the, in those seven days, we put together a pitch. We found out from uh, various polls. So we asked, we didn't guess, you know, we, we asked how much time people were spending on social media, you know, how much they were spending in terms of money on social media and what impact they're making on social media. And based on the results of that, we then built a product. So we built this product and service around it. And I think in the first, you know, we, we did a webinar and we made something like 25,000 pounds on the webinar which we weren't expecting at all. So suddenly we had about 
30 I remember I was 40. on it. I remember it was it was literally a case of do this now. And literally there were people going bang, 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 wasn't it? So yeah, it was it was wild. You know, we we from a standing start of day one, come up with the idea to day seven, you got 25k in the bank from a concept. And then we were like, right, well, we've got to really build this out now. So we, you know, we took two weeks to gather everyone's assets and branding and colors and logo and content. And at that time, we were then building the team out more and more. So we had to quickly, you know, invest in building the team. Um, and it, it was amazing. I mean, this this business just started from scratch. It started from nothing. We've still got the team with us from, you know, three three and a bit years ago um, doing all that. And we've still got so many of our clients from day one. So, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to think that that little COVID legacy still thrives today. Um, but it was just, a, it just really attested to, if you take a creative person, you put them in a corner, you know, and you corner them, it's like, they'll come up with a solution. They'll come up with a way out, you know, and that, and that's, that, that really is the entrepreneur spirit to me. It is. It's, it's, it's that element of, it's, it's, it's entrepreneurial spirit, but it's also you test yourself physically and mentally yourself, don't you? That yeah. element of actually, I can't get to, you know, and you know that from your experiences and your background, but it's actually, it's, you know, it's, 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 I'm going to die here or I'm going to have to survive. What do I do? Yeah. And I guess you were in the position of saying, right, I've got, you know, you had no option. You were shut down. You couldn't do anything else, but you've come up and then created other businesses. Right. And I guess my question to you is, you know, obviously there's an element around risk, which you sort of identify, but there's also this, 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 procrastination this doubt or this this there's this worry or this fear that people have, especially around sales and I obviously as you know and you know being in this people and people have a worry about things they worry about it well how people will react and how people will say oh I don't want to disturb people all these elements of worry that go through people's mind and how yeah. did you how do you obviously you distilled it and you got through it but how when you mentor people now and the people listen to this how what advice do you give for those people that are that have those other areas of worry in their mind, but they actually need to sort of free those shackles in order to go on and do what they need to do and achieve what they want. Yeah, so I'd say, I mean, I truly believe that all thoughts serve us, right? All the positive thoughts, all the negative thoughts, they all serve you in some way. And sometimes you need the negative scarcity mindset thoughts to stop you from making a mistake, to force you to be obsessive over going over the details when you're making a big decision, right? If you didn't have the scarcity mindset thought, you would just be very brash in your decision-making. You wouldn't take the time to really care about what you're doing. The same way, you know, if you've got, um, if you purely think in a, with an abundance mindset, you can start making mistakes. And so it's having this balance and understanding that they're all there to serve you. Uh, one of the things I do is I've got a, a little notepad on my phone and it's called thank you for the thoughts, right? And so when a negative thought comes in or a scarcity mindset thought comes in, I mean, this podcast is all about sales. So in, the, in a sales um, context, if, if, I've, if I've got a thought saying, I'm not going to make the sale, it's not going to work, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'd write down that thought on the, on the phone, on the notepad, because obviously I'm in a scarcity mindset place at that time, right? I'm not, I'm not able to do it. Imposter syndrome, scarcity mindset, whatever it is. I'll write that down and whatever other thoughts come up, then I'll put the phone away. Thank you for the thoughts, put the phone away. Then when I'm in a really positive state of mind, you know, abundance mindset, I'm in a growth mindset, I'll bring the phone out and then I'll reply to that thought. So I'm not going to make the sales today as a scarcity mindset thought. Thank you for the thoughts, bring it up. And then my response might be, well, looking at the previous you know, track record, you've got an 80% conversion rate. There's no reason why you wouldn't do it. You're actually more likely to do it than not. So based on everything here, the logic says that you are going to make the sale, right? So it's basically taking that emotional energy, parking it, sleeping on it, and when you've got a good energy around it, giving it some logic, that for me has worked wonders. Um, it's, you, know, you, know when I, you know when I said earlier in this podcast, you know, we, we, we often overestimate you know, the, the, the best case and the worst case scenario short term. And that is because we are very responsive to our emotions in the moment. 
And one of the best things you can do as an entrepreneur is, is just pause for a second. You know, my dad gave me some great advice once and he said, just, just sleep on the decisions that you've got to make. But try and buy yourself time between finding out new information and making the decision. And, you know, that's often, that often means sleeping on it, right? If you, can, if you can sleep through the night and then make the decision the next day, you've got a fresh state of mind. You're not, you're not reactive and you're not emotional. You're thinking more logically. So I think that that should be a soothing aspect of the entrepreneur's mind or a salesperson's mind. Brilliant point you mentioned, and I talk a lot about you know the emotional emotional intelligence, and you know I talk about emotional sales intelligence. And obviously, you know one of the key components of emotional intelligence is self control, that ability mm. to to sort of take yourself out of the heat. And I guess in your background as well, of take yourself out of the heat. The heat and the situation creates us to do lots of different things. It's yeah. that's why people then start talking or start talking an objection or whatever it is in a sales or business situation. Take yourself away. You know, my mum was you say, you know, count to ten, right? Even count to ten sometimes is that element of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give yourself that moment to think and to, to then go, right, how is this going to help me? What am, do I want to make an emotional decision that could then create issues and ha- you know, hassle for myself later down the line? Or do I want to make a sensible, you know, more, more, uh, you know, a little more logical decision, if you like, that, that, will, that will get me out of that situation? So um, but it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a difficult skill for a lot of people to develop. It's just that moment of pause, right? To give you, it, it, it's like an extra asset. It's like saying, yeah. if, if, if I could just have an extra 12 hours to, to gather my thoughts over this, that's so much potential power, right? In those 12 hours, you could speak to five experts in the field of that who could then give you advice. You could speak to someone who's not emotionally invested, who could say to you if you're being too emotional or not, right? Or you're on your own and you could just gather your thoughts on a piece of paper and go through pros and cons of what you're doing. And it's I mean, if you've got that approach with everything in your life, business, personal, relationships, lifestyle, whatever it is, I just think that you you make much better decisions throughout your life. And there's got to be a massive compounding effect of that, right? It has to be. No, you're, you're quite right. And um, just going on to the subject of sales, you obviously, you know, you were an entrepreneur, you didn't come from an entrepreneur or family. What was your, who was, who was your sales mentor or teacher who, who taught, you know, obviously you've had, you know, you're like me, you, you love your learning, you, you, you developing yeah. yourself a lot of the time, but. Who was the your, you know, who did you learn to sell from? And who was your sales inspiration and mentor? And is there any advice they've given you that stuck with you over the years? I've always, I think I've always been quite quite a natural salesperson. I think if I wasn't an entrepreneur, I'd, I'd probably be in sales because I can I can find I can find solutions to problems quite quickly that people come yeah. up with. Um, you know, if people have people have come up with objections, I can normally quite easily find a way around an objection or you know, guide them through it. I think, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I find it quite easy to articulate the benefits and the downsides of different things as well, which has served me quite well. So I, I don't think I've had a specific sales mentor. I've had brilliant um, business mentors in the past um, who have taught me how to pitch. Obviously, Dent, Daniel Priestley, where you and I both know, mutual friend as well, and um, brilliant coach, brilliant course, um, has, has really set me up from a business perspective. But I, I mean, ultimately, I think, it's it's so easy to go from, you know, shelf development, right? Where you go from one book to the next book to one mentor to the next mentor to the next book. For me, I've 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 had a relatively few amount of mentors, but I've really doubled down and implemented the advice they've given, right? So great example. Um, the KPI course with Dent and working with Dan Priestley, I've probably spent five years just on that content. Right. And it, it took our business from making two to two hundred to three hundred K at the beginning of that to, to making over three million, right? And it's just by implementing everything, having one blueprint, one way of thinking, one mentor, that makes such a big difference. You know, rather than doing it, dabbling a little bit in everything, really perfect one thing. 
And it's it's only really when you get to the end of perfecting that one thing, you really get the kind of golden nuggets of it all because you've processed and you've learned it and now you're executing it well. That makes perfect sense. And I think you're right. And obviously, we all know the Dent model that, you know, we let other people, you know, I I I was a member of that course. And, you know, the five P's is a, is a fantastic, we're going to it now, but it's a fantastic model to use. And obviously, there's other elements that they, they, they built from there. But you actually touched on a really interesting point there around sales, which is, you know, you're a problem solver. And one of the things that I get a lot of people is the misconception around sales is that they, they think they've got to go in and try and do something for someone that they don't want. I'm like, no, problem mm. sales is problem solving. Sales is actually saying to someone, you've got this issue. And we all know people only buy for two reasons as a problem or a desire or something they want to happen. And it's actually, how do you make that person bring that to life? And yeah. have you been able, you know, in the work you do, because obviously you've got across different businesses, you've got your martial arts, you've got your, your, your agency business, you've got a foundation. What are the principles of, let's call it sales or influencing or, or engaging with people that you generally use? Is it that element of solving problems or is there other things you add into the mix? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is ask, don't guess. I think everyone, everyone always guesses what their customer wants. They sit in they sit in their room like this. They come up with the problem, the solution. They come up with the the antidote that the customer. This is the perfect romantic idea of the solution for their customer, right? Rather than just going out there and asking. So ask, don't guess. Study the data. Study your numbers. It's incredible how many insights you can get from truly studying the numbers, right? And so I definitely say study the numbers, study the data. Uh, the next thing I would say is um, look into creating an oversubscribed model. You know, I, I think that I think that the the oversubscribed system is more than just a, a way of um, building a business. It's a language, right? When you when you when you have a lang- when you when you have the language oversubscribed, you are in high demand all the time. It's it, you have this kind of scarcity element to your business. There's a red carpet kind of process going on and people people queue up to do business with you and and that's made a massive impact on our business and, and everything I've done I've always applied that right so I've I've always tried to create supply and demand tension. I would never say I've got unlimited spaces of anything. There would always be a cap on it, whether it's limited spaces, limited time, you know, whatever it is, I would make sure that it's a limited resource or a limited availability to create that tension. And we'll put a link into the to, to anyone that's um, not doesn't know the book, which is a brilliant read. Oversubscriber Daniel Priestley. It's a it's a fantastic book, and like you say, it's, it should be on most people's um, you know reading list to use, which is you know is, is key. And I guess the the key thing though that you know talking about you know the fact of what how you've approached it. What do you think are the common two or three mistakes that you think people that are trying to sell to you? Maybe there's people you've engaged that's trying to sell to you. What are the common mistakes that they make or that you've experienced that you think actually? This is, you know, it may be one of them being, you know, the element of supply and demand. But are there any other common mistakes you've seen that people use that you think actually they just need to step away and and and, and change that? Yeah, loads. I mean, I, th- I think I think not listening. One of the biggest things is they don't listen, right? They they they're rushing through their pitch. They've got lots to say. They've practiced a few times and they want to sell. And it's like they need to quickly get out as soon as they can. That's one thing. The other thing I would say is they're too fast. So they they speak so quickly rather than slowing down. And then actually you build more trust when you slow down. The second you speak really quickly, everyone thinks you're a salesperson. And um, so, so rushing things and speaking too quickly, those, those are the, the, the two big ones, I would say. Uh, not following up is a massive one. You know, if you've got, a, you've got 100 customers and 20% sign up on the first, or you know, got 100 leads, 20% sign up straight away, and you do nothing with the other 80%, <laughs> you are leaving probably two thirds of your business on the table. You know, realistically, 
you've got another 20% who could probably sign up within the next month or so. And the other 20% might sign up in a year, but you've got to warm them up for a year. And so I, I think, you know, the, it's all in the follow-up, which is really, really key. Uh, the other thing I would say is never, never do anything that could damage your reputation to get a sale. I, th- I think there are so many people out there who are in a rush to get rich quick and make a quick buck that they forget that people remember them and their reputation is really important. And there's there's plenty of room on the court to play without having to play out of bounds, right? There's no there's no reason to break the the moral rules that surround business in order to try and make money. You just don't need to do it, and it's it's kind of an act of desperation uh, to do that. So you know, always, always, always act morally in whatever you're doing because everyone's always watching. Uh, is the other thing I would say. Any other tips I could think of? Um, yeah, practice. Most people don't practice enough, right? Like, you, if you want to get really good at something, you want to you want to get good at, at your sixty second pitch. You, you do it a thousand times. You don't just do it a couple of times, right? If you want to get really good at um, a sales conversation, you need to do that sales conversation every day, all the time, with someone. And one of the things I always say goes back to my martial arts days: is you rarely you rarely compete when you're at your peak. Right. You could be, I mean, I, I, my first professional fight, I was injured. <laughs> I went into it with a, um, with a damaged knee and, you know, I, I, my mindset was like, Oh, I can't really do this. You know, I'm not sure I can do it. And my coach was just like, there's always going to be something. So the way I see it with sales is practice. Even when you haven't had your coffee practice, even when you haven't had any sleep the night before, you know, because the time where it really matters, you might be absolutely knackered. I've had no sleep. I've had no food and you've got to, you've got to be able to close a deal. So just get good at you know finding that energy and and using it. Those those are the bits of advice I would off the top of my head I would come up with. There's some absolute gold in all of them. I wish I could take the there's so much gold in there. It's actually because I, I use the, I think you're right about so many all of what you said there. And I say to people a lot of times, desperation's a stinky perfume, right? And if people are desperate and they have this, <laughs> so this, this this approach that they want to do business quickly, it's like the barriers go up and yeah. and, it, and you see it a lot there, don't you? Because you see it a lot because actually because they haven't done it goes a little bit back to what you just said at the fun the practice. Because they haven't done the work and they haven't yeah. done the practice, then they're too desperate to get into the process of oh, I need it straight away. And yeah. I think that goes back to your point around, you know, your martial arts. You know, you don't go into a ring or into a, in a cage or in an environment after just literally practicing once. You've done it like thousands of times or you're, you're, you're base drill. jumping, whatever. You've just, your brain's programmed to do it automatically, isn't it? So you know what yeah. to do. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's the way you should train your team as well, right? I mean, it's, you know, our, our team constantly, constantly drill the sales conversation all the time until they can do it so professionally. Uh, we we even have our um, you know our cleaning team. We've got um, office hosts who do amazing. You know they, they 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 run the cafe, but they also clean all the dojos. But we we train them to go through the brochure with our customers as well. And amazing. part of that brochure is the vision and the mission, right? And they've got to memorize the vision and the mission. And they practice this as if they're part of the sales team, but they're not part of the sales team. And the reasons for that is in an emergency situation where there's a where there's a customer sitting on their own. We want someone in our, in our, you know, our office team, one of the cleaners, to be able to go over there and be able to sit them down and say, "Look, I know you're on your own, but I thought I'd come over. Here's a coffee, and I'll go through it." An amazing story from that. We had one parent email us in and saying, "You know, I, I met the office host. She, you know, she was in the middle of making coffees, but she came over, sat down with me. She looked me dead in the eyes and just had just gave me the vision of the Warrior Academy to the T." You know, like if your whole team, from the CEO to the leadership team to the sales team to the cleaner, can can deliver the sales conversation, but also the vision and the mission, fully immersed and rehearsed, 
then it's I think that's a really powerful statement to your customers. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and it's go back, you know, I'm conscious of time, it goes back to that NASA stuff, wasn't it? When the cleaner was asked, What are you here to do? I'm here to put a man on the moon. And it's like, you know, it's that yeah. same it's that same element, right? If, if everyone's applied by the same principle. And funny enough, I actually launched a, uh, today, I, I launched a podcast a couple of weeks about sales culture and people talk about culture. And I said, well, say, well, sales culture, everyone's a salesperson. If you've got the right people in your business, they're not trying to sell. They're just trying to solve problems. They're just trying to help. They're just trying to talk to people about, like you say, the vision and mission of where the business and the organization's going, what matters. And and they're not they're not trying to be a sleeve, you know, this, this concept of sales is a really weird one because people think it's this yeah. sleazy, cheesy, horrible thing when well actually it's not. It's about having a you know a strong mission and vision and then helping people go and solve the problems that they've got. But um just talk about that your that your product or service is solving a problem for someone, then you're you, you know, it's almost like you're doing them a favor by by selling to them, right? And providing this fair trade, it means that you can continue to deliver the service you wanted to deliver in a really professional way. So you, you know, there's got to be a trade-off between getting paid and actually helping solve a problem, right? But, yeah, I, but I think if you believe in your, if you believe in your product or service, then you, you don't have that feeling of oh, I don't really like making sales. You actually enjoy it. You enjoy the process because you're your helping this person, right? I always say to me, it's your duty, right? Because if you yeah. solve a problem for someone and they don't know about you, but they've got this issue because you've asked and you know, it's your duty yeah. to help them, actually, if you really care about it that much, for a better phrase. Yeah. In fact, their, their problem, you're, you're not doing your thing if you're not helping them solve that. So, well, look, I mean, I'm conscious of time. We'd love, you know, I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate your time. A couple of things, finish questions to finish off with, and then we'll, we'll maybe let you finish off and let some people know how they can get in contact with you. What's your biggest ever sales mistake, Seb, do you think, and, and, and what did you learn from it? Or have you made one? Just, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it may. Have. I just sort of thought about it. Biggest sales mistake. Or is there I any that comes to mind? What comes to mind? Is is there any that come to mind? Or or maybe the opposite side of that. What's your biggest sales success? What's your biggest? Was there one sale that you did that you thought you know whether it was a mistake or a success? You thought, wow, that sticks to my mind of what you achieved. Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest sales mistakes would be undercharging um, and not upping my prices faster. I think that's something I really encourage business owners to do. Um, and have the courage to do that. You know, we would we would have made a lot more money if we had upped our prices sooner, especially in the UK. Uh, biggest sales, um, biggest sales success would probably be our annual launch. Uh, you know, we make over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in half an hour once a year on this big annual launch, and it. We, you know, we started it and we we, we run it like a Glastonbury ticket sales event, right? Using the whole oversubscribed method. Um, and we've we've really narrowed that down into an art form. Um, it it provides our customers with like four months free throughout the year, but it gives us a, a which is great for them because otherwise they pay full price, and most of them would anyway. But it gives us this cash injection, which we can then use to expand and grow the business and have security throughout the year. So, yeah, I, I would say our, the way in which we run oversubscribe sales is is a massively, you know, a massive success, uh, and not charging higher amounts sooner would be the failure there. Everyone, everyone, it says a lot to what you know, I sort of say, you see five apples and four red and one's green, which one do you notice more, right? It's like, you know, but people are afraid, they want to be in the red camp. You want to be in the red camp because that feels comfortable and safe, right? Yeah. But rather than being different. But, um, and, and look, in terms of, you know, just a final question for me, because I'm, you know, sales and, and I know you will you know, be interested to get your take on, ask, take on this. I'm asking people, you know, the world is changing around as we treat seal on a regular basis in around AI and technology and the way things are going. What do you think is the biggest change that you're seeing in the world of business development, sales, and 
uh, you know, is that linked to AI? And, and if so, how should people be reacting and responding to that? What's the biggest sort of change that, you know, give, put, you, put yourself in your future camp. What's, what are you seeing in the next one to two years related to sales and business development and business in general, maybe? And, and what should people be doing to try and, you know, stay ahead of that? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a very much a focus on direct, you know, direct to market sales right now. You know, if, if I look at a lot of, if I open up my inbox on LinkedIn, I'm bombarded right with like hundreds of, of messages from people basically trying to sell directly to right me and a lot of that maybe, is driven by awesome. ai um so, so I, i'm not sure i think in the transition from where we are now to ai being quite effective there's a lot of useless sales tactics being tested out i think that the the future of ai and sales is that it's going to you're going to prefer to speak to ai than a person because the ai will be such an expert in helping you get from a to c in solving and finding the right thing and the right product and service for you, that you'll just want that instead. You know, you'll pick up a phone and speak to a person and, you know, it'll be clearly them trying to sell you something and, you know, a bit of waffling along, or you might not get an efficient salesperson, but you'll speak to an AI and it'll just be like, bang, you'll get exactly where you want to go. And, you know, and and how, how will that change the, the, the battlefield of sales for a lot of people, right? It's, it's, it's really, really interesting. If we get to that stage, you know, then how much is going to be automated? You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a real you know open book right now, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's a really interesting one. I talk to people about, you know, I think this is where it goes back to your prices issue. Because I think as as prices, you know, as the value of something is higher, so people's concept and thoughts process and more questions go through their mind. And I always say to people, you've got to be a fly on the mind in the mind, you know, you fly on the on the wall in the mind of your of your buyer. And and actually, you know. But if it's to do a small transactional activity, then you're right. Because, you know, Google and Sundar Pichai showed in 2018, they did this call, didn't they, of AI. Yeah. With, but if you saw it where, you know, he literally had this, someone was having a call with a customer and they got the whole thing done very simply and very easily. Yeah, that was, yeah, I remember that. that was a while ago. So the text exactly five years ago, exactly. So, so look at what was happening now. So I think it's that element around the, the relationship. And, and that's the thing for me, I would say, it's the relationship part of selling that will, will still stay the same. It's the ability to listen, yeah. as you said. It's the ability to, to understand and solve problems. I think if you're a salesperson, or a business person that does that and offers a higher value service, you're going to be okay for a little while. Maybe not forever. We, we may all be replaced by time by robots, but the point is, yeah, it's yeah. going to be serving them time. I mean, I think even if you've got AI driving your sales, you still need to be an expert in sales so that you understand it, right? And you can actually program it and work with it in a way that is the most effective. Most effective. But, I, but I, t- I totally agree with you, you know, in terms of you know, the development of soft skills being the most important thing we can work on as humans. I think we need to look at the educational system. I think that a third of the time children spend in school should be purely on the development of soft skills. Two thirds academics, maybe, and one third soft skills. I mean, you know, my whole purpose in life is to empower children through character development, right? This is what I do with thousands of kids every single week. And that is essentially soft skills, right? Emotional intelligence, it's developing leadership skills. It's all these things that will help children as they they go out into the world. Um, And we're always selling. So sales isn't just limited to a customer phones you up and wants something. Selling is basically the art of persuasion. And you need that in everything in your life. Even if you're networking, you're selling yourself, right? If you're applying for a job, AI can't do that for you. They want to meet the human. So sales skills and the art of persuasion is always going to be incredibly relevant to everything we want to do in life. 
couldn't agree more. I was saying, you know, I'm, you know, it's about getting a better table at the restaurant when you go for dinner. It's about getting yeah. a better room in the hotel when you go stay somewhere. It's about getting a better seat on the aeroplane. Whatever it is, it's about influencing and, and being able to engage and to have those skills to to make the other person go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do and that. It's, it's the than... art of negotiation, right? Like, like you know, you know, when when it comes to when you're doing big acquisitions and you've really made it in business and you're doing big million pound deals or even smaller ones, you're not gonna sit around the boardroom with your AI doing all the talking for you. You need to be an expert in negotiation and understand other human beings who are actually in control of AI, if that's if that's the route we go down. This is it. So look, mate, thank you so, so much for your time. I know you're an incredibly busy man. I'm going to end the, the, the... I'm going to have one final question to finish off before. Obviously, Pete, I can see people can see info at sebastianbates.com. Is that the best yeah. way for them to reach out and contact uh, you? I know your book e- online e- is... So if you, go, you can go to sebastianbates.com or you can go ea at sebastianbates.com um, okay. and my assistant Sarah will help with any any sort of questions and stuff. Um, you always find me on you Instagram, on, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and are you are you open to people connecting with you on those channels as well and reaching out to you? Are you open to yeah, people just yeah. advice? Yeah. I know you've got. Reach out. I, know I always, I always reply to every comment on uh, on Instagram. So reach out there. Fantastic, mate. I appreciate that. And, and a final thing for me: what what biggest prediction have you got for the rest of you know this year? Tell me something that we don't that I don't know. You, you know we're thinking what's going to happen in the rest of twenty twenty three that uh, that uh, that Sad his view on what's going to happen that's going to shock the world. That's going to shock the world in a positive way. Well, not shock the world, maybe, but change, something that we're going to know, we're not going to know. Because I always think change in technology moves so quickly, and, and what we know, yeah, we yeah. didn't know about. So you know, you know, didn't know about ChatGPT. A lot of people didn't at the start of the year. What's the next thing going to be in the next six months? Interesting. Okay, so I think that people will realise that in the next six to twelve months, things are never going to be as good or as bad as they thought about AI. You know, in the short yeah. term, probably things will just plod along as they are. And it will take many, many years until we're in a position where we can really, really use AI in a very valuable way. And right now, it's I, I think right now, everyone's very excited, but you can almost take 20% off the top of that excitement, right? Yeah. All the worst case scenario stuff that you think is going to happen, you can take 20% off the bottom of that. It's not going to be the end of the world, but it's not going to be a brand new world. It'll be somewhere in the middle. And that's a very boring advice or boring <laughs> prediction. But I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to see anything radical happen in the next six months. Uh, more so in the next twenty four months. I love it, and I think you're right. So I was talking about twenty sixty twenty, right? It's the middle ground. It's never the leaders, never the laggards. It's yeah. all the people in the middle to vent them. So look, mate. Thank you so so much for your time. You've been incredible um, and and really inspiring. You know, and, and you've you know you built some incredible businesses, and you're you're an inspiration. I I watch uh, so many of your you know if you don't follow Seb on on Instagram, please do because his stuff for kids I just think is you know I've got some nieces and nephews, and I always send them you know they're a bit older now, but I keep saying to them, look that's the sort of stuff you need to you know to. Yeah, to build that, like you say, character development, to, to to build a mindset that you can deal with anything in life as you have. So um yeah. you're you're inspiration to so many people, mate. And thanks for all the yeah. great work you thanks for giving me the, you know, giving us your time today. Really appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And no worries at all. Look, just before we go, I always finish off the, the podcast with an inspirational story, and I'm going to share a story today of a, um, of a just to finish off of a girl who um, actually made her debut today playing cricket for England. A lady called Lauren Filer, who um, is from my town near me in Western called Western Superman near me, and she grew up playing cricket, and she's from an obscure town in the in 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 the in the in the west area of the UK, and suddenly is today played cricket, international cricket for her her country, and from someone thought that they you know they've they've loved the sport and never thought they could get to that level i think to make your debut for your country is an incredible achievement so she's my uh, lauren filer is my uh his inspirational story and i and i share that because it shows anyone can achieve anything if you put your mind to it so um but brilliant so thank you so much for your your time mate appreciate it today
So there you have it. That was Seb Bates. Uh, what a brilliant inspirational story. Uh, the Seb is, the, as I say, the founder of the War Academy. We'll put all the links in the in the show to so you can see what Seb's done. Definitely follow him. He's a great guy. Um, inspirational what he's achieved. What stops you from doing the same thing as him? Until next week, see you soon. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed. If you have, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps us ensure more people can get the insights and ideas they need to get incredible sales results. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode.